Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Keith Raniere. Keith Raniere. Keith Raniere. They called him Vanguard, the founder of Nexium, a shadowy self-help organization described by federal prosecutors as cult-like. He was a self-help guru who manipulated and toyed with women, turning them into sex slaves, branding his initials on their bodies. Now Keith Raniere has been sentenced to 120 years in prison. Yeah, I know I'm a little bit late to this one. To be honest, I was happy to just sit it out completely. Huge Canadian story. Self-help racket in Vancouver turns out to be a weird multi-million dollar sex cult run by a charismatic creep. The Nixium story had rich heiresses, famous actresses, huge sums of money. Did I mention that it was a sex cult? Had everything. Everything but a point. Or so it seemed to me. Look, I didn't listen to the podcasts or watch the various bingeable streaming docuseries because I wasn't sure what I was going to learn from them. Also, I'm a snob. 
obviously. Maybe also a bit of a hypocrite because I certainly do watch trashy TV, but this wasn't my kind of trash. This seemed like celebrity trash. Not my thing. What finally got me curious about Nixium was a piece that today's guest wrote about the concept of coercive control. Investigative journalist Sarah Berman has written a book about Nixium called Don't Call It a Cult. And one of the things that she explores in the book and in that essay that I read in the Globe and Mail is this concept of coercive control. The thing that Berman documents in Nixium is an exaggerated, extreme version of something that has been playing out everywhere, something that we're seeing in the relationships that people enter into, whether we're talking about friends or partners or organizations. You know, we talk about things like mentorship and coaching and finding purpose, building community, uh, building a support system. That's the talk on one end of the spectrum. And on the other end, gaslighting, psychological abuse. These dynamics keep popping up in so many of the stories that we cover across personal, professional, and political boundaries. Coercive control is not just a buzzy idea that's being hashed out in the cultural discourse. It's something that should be a crime, according to a private member's bill that was introduced last fall by NDP MP Randall Garrison. So I'm going to talk to author Sarah Berman about all of this in a minute. And she's going to try to get me to join Nixium. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Janelle Powers, Catherine Fuller, Nadra Kadir, Nicholas Johnson, Mitch Sagan, Keith Schweitzer, Jordan Thompson, and Sue. Hi, my name is Sue Pfeffer, and I live in Toronto. I support Canada Land because it delves into stories that mainstream media often overlook. It's fair and transparent, and I enjoy a good Jesse Brown rant. You're talking to somebody who's just going in completely fresh. I haven't listened to any of the Nixium podcasts. I missed, like, all the TV shows. It happens sometimes that a, a complete cultural thing just was. I just sat this one out, so... I don't even know why I chose to kind of just like take a pass on it. Um, that might be something worth thinking about, but I'm going in totally fresh. What is this and why did you decide to spend as much time as you did investigating it and writing about it? Nexium was a self-help organization. People joined it because they wanted to level up in their careers and their romantic lives. And it just wasn't that on the inside. Its leader, Keith Raniere. I'm an interesting person. I'm a controversial person. But most importantly, I'm an unconventional person. He was manipulating folks into handing over collateral, handing over basically blackmail material, and getting women especially to get into this bound situation where they just could not say no to anything that he was saying. And so this got him a bunch of trafficking charges in 2018, and he was convicted on a number of charges, including sexual exploitation of a child, racketeering, uh, forced labor conspiracy, just a lot of intense stuff. And he's now been sentenced in October 2020 to 120 years in federal prison in the United States. So who the hell is this guy? He's this soft-spoken, some people describe this awkward but sweet presence, seemed to be kind of a mystery. Keith 
was a very dynamic person. You know, he was very um, soft-spoken, very uh, engaging in dialogues. He was funny. He was witty. He got to start in multi-level marketing, which is so fascinating because that industry, quote-unquote, has already been so entangled with, quote-unquote, human potential and woo-woo, schlocky leadership training. Well, maybe we actually are really rapidly getting at one of the reasons why maybe I decided to remain blissfully ignorant of this story. I guess, like, what little I do know about it is that it struck me as something that was entered into by people who were kind of, like, choosing to engage with some kind of West Coasty, New Agey meets, like, not spiritual necessarily, but, like, executive training, self-empowerment, self-realization, just stuff that I kind of mentally filed away into, like— shit that I don't do, and then mixed with the fact that the people who were involved seemed like these beautiful actresses and these wealthy heiresses. So it seemed like a juicy story, but kind of a fancy story to me for fancy people, like a fancy person cult or something. Yeah, from the headlines, that's definitely the impression you get. But there was also this sort of underreported aspect of people being brought over from Mexico, their undocumented status in the United States being sort of exploited and then suffering some of the worst consequences. So there was more to it. There was always more to it. I feel like the bottom fell out of the story, you know, many, many times as I reported on it. And how would this first be encountered by somebody? And I imagine there's a class thing here. I don't know. What did it cost for your first class? So it had this sort of exclusivity to it. You're having to pay minimum $3,000, usually more like $5,000 for these one-week intensives. And they were pitched in this sort of secretive, you know, I'm going to tell you what the key to my success and happiness has been. And so Sarah Edmondson, who's one of the whistleblowers, she was a recruiter. So she went around and she told people about this amazing program that helped her re-up her entire career and her relationships. Which is an educational tool set, a curriculum that's designed to rewire your belief system, which if you believe that the people who are doing that wiring have good intentions, that could be a good thing to get rid of your limiting beliefs. And she sort of walked me through that pitch. And I thought she was going to pounce on my insecurities. I thought she was going to be like, Sarah, you're so messed up and we're going to help you. But no, she made me think of a blue sky future where I've got everything I want in life. She basically tried to get me to invest in that dream. So she actually did the pitch on you? Yeah, exactly. I really wanted to see what it looked like just going in. And again, she's not telling me about branding with somebody's initials up front. She's telling me about what I want, what what I'm dreaming of. And so if you have a pretty strong imagination, if you can see yourself breaking through and becoming great in some way, then you are going to want to see what this was about. Do you remember it well enough to do it to me? Oh, God. Uh, I mean, maybe. Sure. Like, Jesse, what is it that you think is holding you back from getting everything that you want? What's the one thing you wish you could just sort of fix and, and then everything would be so good? Uh, Deep-seated personality flaws baked into my character. Okay. Well, presuming we can, like, work on your personality, right? Like, we could maybe train you out of them. What do you think that pattern has cost you in life? Oh, geez. Uh, You know, friends, uh, sleep, well-being. 
Right. But if you had to put like a dollar amount on it, like lost business opportunities, a hard dollar amount over the course of your entire life, what do you think it would be? I might not be the right candidate for this because I attribute some of my financial success to those deep-seated personality flaws. Oh, I see. So it would be like negative money. Yeah, I might I might uh, be a lot poorer if I was a better person. I see. Yeah, I'm not sure this would work on you then because then she'd bust out that, uh, well, our course is only $3,000, so you're <laughs> getting a hot deal. But she wouldn't have tried it on me. Was this mostly women who were pursued for this? Yeah, I think that's very true. I think she definitely would say, this doesn't sound like it's for you. And I would say probably the majority of people. She was good at finding the people who had rapport, who had similar dreams that she could relate to and could guide them through what she had been through. I would say maybe Jesse wouldn't be a candidate from the start. I got that going for me anyhow. Um it is interesting because it seems to select from the start for people who can afford it and for people who have, like, vulnerabilities and securities that can be exploited. I think that this stuff is endlessly fascinating, and people are fascinated with cults and with the processes by which people kind of seed their will. I wonder if everything that you're about to tell me about what followed, once you've paid $3,000, $5,000, you've kind of already bought the thing. You know, before it's even begun, you're hoping that they have the power to absolutely transform you. And I guess everything just kind of flows from there. I think you're right. I think there is a sort of sunk costs fallacy, but also there's inserted programming pretty early on that a truly wise person always takes feedback who doesn't impose their will on whoever's coaching them. So you're getting into a position where you're just accepting pretty intense assessments of your personal deficiencies fairly early on. And so it is just allowing a lot of criticism into your life very quickly. And some people respond to it. They think, wow, I, this is stuff I haven't even been seeing before. And, and so they do sign on in a very intense way to being told exactly what to do, essentially. And this happened to have a pretty healthy community here in Vancouver. So in 2017, when the beginnings of this were coming out in the press, I was starting to realize, wait a second, I have connections to this group. What are those connections? So, for example, Nikki Klein, who's an actress, was on Battlestar Galactica, is still, in fact, loyal to Ranieri. I have a bunch of folks who went to high school with her. I had a friend whose roommate also moved to Albany to sort of be in the mothership uh, in 2014. So not close friends, but I did go into it thinking this could have maybe been a close friend of mine. It was not terribly far from your own kind of just circle of peers, people who you kind of felt like similar to. Right. You know, like I'm born in the same year as a lot of the women who were part of this. So that was part of it trying to identify with it, trying to see it from the inside as if I could have or a friend of mine could have been part of it. How is it that a fashionable set of personal maximize your potential executive training lessons, like how does that morph into a sex cult? I mean, it happens over a period of many, many years and in many cases a decade. So when you're just going to that first course you're not seeing any anything too, too strange. I mean, you are seeing sashes 
in different colors that denote rank. You are seeing a photo of this leader who they call Vanguard, who you're supposed to bow to. So there is some pretty weird stuff like up front, but nothing, you know, criminal seeming. And over time, you know, you're taking these classes in the little breakout groups. People are listening to you. Everything you say, everything that you've outlined as the worst things that have happened to you, the worst things you've done to other people, and what makes you tick, what you think you want to be in the world, what's the key to your success, and also what's important to you, your family. What would be your red line who you'd never give up? And these are incredibly useful manipulation tools. And so when you have these hierarchical coaching relationships built in, where someone's coaching you potentially on a daily basis, you're starting to get social influence going and accountability going, where somebody's monitoring how you're thinking over a long period of time. And if you study social influence, if you study thought reform, all the ingredients are sort of there to actually change what someone thinks and believes. I imagine that the process of going from a, you know, one week intensive workshop to this being your life to this being a sexual involvement with the charismatic figurehead to allowing your skin to be branded with his initials is probably a long and complicated process. But what can you do to help me understand that process? Like, how did people find themselves going that deep into it? Well, just like at the beginning where we said you wouldn't be selected, probably even for the entry level, there's a lot of selection going on as well. So the specific people that Keith Ranieri and his inner circle of coaches, they're selecting people who would be important and good for the organization. So the people with resources, the people with fan followings, um, they, they were seeking out generational wealth. And they were speaking to them in a way where it's like, well, all of your resources, you don't have to feel guilty about having them. As long as you're using those resources to help change the world for the better. And by the way, you can do that by investing in us. You're an ethical person. You're a great person if you come with us. That's interesting. So this was not just a philosophy of like achieving your personal best and unlocking the dragon within. There was a part of philosophy here that was about how you're actually helping the world by by doing this and by giving us money and by being your best self. Definitely. So that was another part of it that really um, threw me for a loop. I just couldn't understand it. I would be like, please explain this to me, how you thought it was doing good in the world. And yeah, Nexium attracted idealists, people who thought that the key to curing cancer or what have you was to make sure that people got rid of these psychological imbalances, these disintegrations, that nothing in the world could be fixed. None of the social justice issues in the world could be addressed until we sort of fix these inner troubles. And so signing on to Nexium's mission, which would do that, it's sort of like Scientology in that way, where they need to make the world clear, you know, so that the world becomes a better place. They've got that same baked-in activist language that does appeal to people who maybe they even had an experience with activism and they felt that it didn't do something for them. This somehow did. Was that true on any level? Did they do any good works or, or help the world in any way? There's nothing that I can find that's attributable to Keith Ranieri, certainly. I would say there were definitely women who helped each other overcome certain personal failings. 
I would say that came out of love between women. I would say there's personal relationships that were built in this group that were real and strong and and did lead to some personal growth. But I just don't think it's ever attributable to, yeah, the special technology invented by Keith Raniere. And what was the lifestyle like? Let's say you're just fully in and this has become your group. What is a day in your life like? Where, where do you live? What do you do? Right. So a lot of them would live in uh, Knox Woods, which is this sort of housing development in Clifton Park, just outside of Albany, New York. And their days are starting really early. A lot of them did sort of yoga starting at five in the morning. They're usually recording all of the calories that they consume in a day. Some of them were doing as little as 900 calories in a day. If you were going to be a coach or a proctor, you had to keep up on all the new coursework. So you might be going to an all-day intensive. Some of these intensives were 14 hours. If you weren't doing an intensive, you might be working on some of the offshoot projects. So you had fitness groups, you had acting groups, you had ethical media groups. And they were meeting and sort of discussing how they could make modules, make these lessons, this lesson format that Keith Raniere had out of these different sort of uh, spinoff groups. And then late at night, (laughs) Keith Raniere is having these, you know, after midnight walks with some of the women that are most important to him. And that's where he's coaching them on their life, possibly their business ideas. Sometimes it really was about what they wanted to do. But sometimes those women, especially the ones who had become part of this secret group, this sorority called DOS. In a group within Nixium. And it's just women. And it's based on this slave master hierarchy. And they sign a lifetime vow of obedience. And they're on these starvation diets, like 500 to 800 calories a day. They just had no choice in the matter. They they had given over this collateral. They were in a situation where they were choosing between either being there or destroying their entire life. And where does the harem part of this begin and, and how does that work? It's really fascinating because he was sort of developing it even before Nexium, the company, existed. He already had at least one heiress on his side and and a couple other women sort of doing the same format of initiating other women into his inner circle. So they often were led to believe in the beginning, like this is 20 years ago, that they were having an exclusive and very secret relationship with Keith Raniere. And then about a year in, it gets sort of revealed (laughs) that there are these other women and they sort of take turns on each other. One of them calls it the wolf pack approach, where they each make visits. They're putting on the social pressure. They're saying, you don't own Keith. You need to work on your own hangups and be part of this group to help him build something that's going to change the world, that's going to evolve humanity. So that was happening before Nexium ever existed. This sort of pattern of just getting new women with more resources or with more clout and just sort of bringing them in through this, uh, all this misdirection, all this social pressure. And often it was also with these really intense secrets, almost blackmail material being held as proof they would never leave, never talk about it. 
So the, the groundwork was set long before 2015, which was when this more formalized group came to be, where even just to hear about this secret uh, women's empowerment opportunity, they had to hand over something that would absolutely destroy their life if it ever got out. For some women, this was um, nude photos, a lot of them actually. Some, for some of them, it was um, both real and made up accusations against their parents, against anyone who was important in their life. So you had multiple women saying that they were molested by their own parents. And that was put in a letter, sometimes addressed to the press in their hometown and, and given over. So this is not just like the kind of nude where you're like, eh, in a bathroom, whatever, you know, sending to someone you're kind of interested in. This is like <sighs> the keys to their entire life, like something that could destroy their life. And once they were in that situation, then they were told about this sort of master-slave relationship. And for some people, it was expressed in this really caring way where it was like, we're going to help you get over your hangups. We're going to, you know, I'm going to take good care of you. Uh, but ultimately, it was a situation where they couldn't do anything without asking permission. And you just had an extremely coercive situation where if they went against it, their collateral could be released. That's astonishing. It is. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars and I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. So I'm 
you know, familiar with the concept of, of manipulative people getting their hands on compromat, on, on, on compromising material and using that to control people. But I guess what's striking me is so disturbing and surprising is that there was no sneakiness or deceit. It's like you are going to go and produce the compromat. You are going to go and find me something and you're going to prove, I guess, that your level of trust or faith in me by handing this material over. And if you don't have anything that's embarrassing or scandalizing enough, go ahead and make something up and give me that. Yeah, that was definitely the situation. They tried to collect collateral on me by trying to get me to have sex outside of my relationship by naked photos, false letters about family members. But it was misdirected in terms of its purpose. Yes, it was supposed to be, you know, to prove your vow of secrecy, to prove that you and this other woman are, you know, bonded closely. It was not revealed to them that there was, you know, this orchestrator at the top being able to direct all of the members and make sure that he was getting something out of it at every step of the way. There was just so much upfrontness and yet so much misdirection at the same time. Right. So there was deceit. Like it was the intimacy that you had between the one person who was recruiting you and it was you thought within the confines of that relationship that you were handing this over. But in fact, it was going to this this asshole who was going to use it to uh, force you into a slave master relationship. Exactly. And then some of the personal growth assignments that these women were getting almost immediately was get the attention of Keith Raniere. So that was also very obvious and upfront and yet not explained. And because you're in this sort of place of survival where you've handed over something so intense, there's a lot of kind of compartmentalizing. There may be internalizing the threat, but not saying it. They're saying... I need to really work on my growth. I really need to give it my all and prove that I'm not held back by my my fears, my limiting beliefs. And the people who were doing this and entering into it with some degree of agency and willing, they didn't know everything they were getting into. A Bronfman heiress, a successful actress. These were people who had gone to elite universities. These were people who had wealth. These were people who had families and support structures. Is, is that all accurate? Well, Clara Bronfman was not part of DOS officially. She was definitely, she had a different kind of relationship with Keith Raniere, and she did bankroll a lot of things. And so, but she claimed ignorance of the actual trafficking aspects. Why did she give money to this guy? Well, again, it, it had to do with her, you know, personal sort of, issues with her family. So she also grew up very insecure about having so much wealth. So she was a horseback rider and she would always try to stay in the cheapest accommodations and make sure she wasn't read as wealthier than than other people. And Nexium in the beginning really did speak to that and say, you know, you can do more with your resources. You don't have to be ashamed. And for the other women... They're living in this property in Albany, but like it's like Scientology in that they're they're not only allowed to have their own careers, but they're encouraged to do so. It was different for everyone. Again, it's like through the coaching that people suddenly decide acting wasn't so fulfilling for me. That wasn't 
real. That That's just chasing materialism. I'm going to devote my life to something meaningful. I'm going to devote 100% of my life to Nexium. And so that's what someone like Nikki Klein did. And Nikki Klein did become a top-line, quote-unquote, master in DOS. So she she did know about Keith's role. Uh, and she did recruit, according to court transcripts, three slaves. But she was never charged. She was only named as a co-conspirator. And just so I'm clear, what exactly is, was DOS? Right. So this was the secret sorority. So this is the group that's asking for collateral just to know what it means, initiating women into a slavery relationship um, and branding them, some of them. And some of them also then were coerced into sexual contact with Keith. I was told that I was joining a secret sorority for women. I I was told I was going through a very special initiation process where I'd be getting a beautiful tattoo and only found out by accident on my own that it was a symbol for Keith's initials and a monogram, a symbol that he designed and had planned to keep hidden from the women that he branded like cattle. Your book also focuses, I understand, on Daniela, an undocumented Mexican woman who was confined to a room for nearly two years. What can you tell me about this person and how she became involved? Daniela at age 16, is top of her class, has all these aspirations to go to Harvard and and to do, you know, cutting-edge cancer research. And she gets from her parents a intensive, uh, as a parting gift, before she goes away to Switzerland to study at an elite international high school. And so she decides to take a sabbatical, again, as a child, to go to Albany to be part of the quote-unquote mission. She's trying to learn about ethics. She thinks these courses are really great, and it's based on the teachings of what she believes is the smartest man on the planet who has this world record in the Guinness Book uh, for highest IQ. Uh, Very disputed. Is that in the Guinness Book of World Records? Yes, it did exist, at least in the, um, the Australian edition. So he's like exalted as this more evolved than everyone else being, who's so smart, everybody comes just to hear him speak. That was the mythology, at least. To look at pictures of him, he don't look like much. This is not like a guy who's beaming with natural charisma, a golden aura, strong presence, even like a strong jawline. Like there's nothing about him that would necessarily make you turn your head if he walked into a restaurant it's kind of remarkable that he was able to present himself as such. I also had trouble with that. I would watch little videos they'd put out and he could barely string a sentence together. You know, like there just was nothing there that I could hang on to. Let's talk about the mechanics of it. Okay. You go out on stage, you, you make your entrance. You're in a Shakespeare. You've been <laughs> in Shakespeare recently, yes? Yes, yes. And there's silence. Yeah. You know why there's silence? Or maybe you mutter something totally incomprehensible. Yeah. Or you do have some credits in the front row. They start writing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Going a little further now, I hear some boos coming from the yeah, audience. Yeah, People clearing their throats. That's the worst. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it feels awful. Yeah, it's, it's okay, but are you alive? Yeah. Are you fine? Yeah. I think because it was so engineered, right, you had all these women around him building him up, I think you just had this inner workings to make sure that people were already bought in and then he had every opportunity to sort of demonstrate it to them 
uh, his genius, his charisma. You don't think that you would be socially influenced that much? Like if five different people just sort of randomly said, you know, so-and-so is pretty charismatic, you know, kind of magnetic, that I would just absorb that. But when you don't see it as engineered from the outside, when you don't already have the information that that's what's going on, it's surprising how much of us can just sort of easily adopt those kind of ideas. So how did it all come crashing down? In May 2017, you had Sarah Edmondson, who was a huge recruiter, who had brought in, you know, more than 2,000 people into this organization, many of them from Vancouver. She finally started to have doubts. And I should mention, it didn't happen right away. She was branded, actually, in March. I think figuring out that the mark was actually Keith's initials and realizing that he was not who he said he was, but actually a sociopath and had been lying to us. And also finding out that women involved had been tasked to have sex with him, which didn't happen to me, but was enough just to blow the whole thing open. So she finally decides to blow the whistle. They, they try to get media placement. And finally, actually on the heels of the Harvey Weinstein story, they land a big story in the New York Times that did outline a surprising amount of this. You had a lot of stuff. Lots of people took interest. The FBI took interest. And finally, in 2018, in March, he gets arrested in Mexico and brought back to Brooklyn for a huge racketeering trial. And how big had the whole thing gotten at that point? Do we have an idea of the scale of his operation, how much money he took from all these people? How much money? I can't say for sure. Certainly lots of people I talked to, you know, they're saying twenty, thirty thousand dollars for sure. And then if you were really in in there, like Claire Bronfman lost probably close to a hundred million just herself. A hundred million? Yeah. Because you had 65 or so million going to a commodity trading bets. He also bet on the stock market. And he had this failed real estate scheme in L.A. that was just a huge, huge money sink. He also had them invest in a private jet that was used by Nexium. It was also for their personal use, but in properties all over Albany. So you just had a huge, huge money sink. And that was probably the biggest amount, was the Bronfman amounts. But you had other heiresses as well, some from Mexico, uh, investing in infrastructure for the company. It's interesting to me that it wasn't just about investing in the philosophy or the, or a religious, quasi-religious aspect. He seemed to merge this with capitalism and you're going to be my business partner and you're investing in my company. Yeah, he didn't believe in charity. He was sort of uh, Randian in his principles. So uh -huh. the more money they amassed for their purposes, the better. Like that was the ethical thing to do was just fully hoard wealth because they knew it would be used ethically. How many people were involved at the height of it? Well, just entry-level courses, you have only about 17,000 people who have just taken the courses. I would say in Vancouver, there was a max of 200 very committed regular coaches. And I would say in Albany, you had sometimes more, sometimes less than that. 
And then in Mexico, you actually had an even bigger hand, like a few hundred really committed lifers. What did they get him for? He's in jail for the rest of his life? Yeah. So his sentence was almost the max on every charge. So with these convictions, Ranieri stands convicted of racketeering, sex trafficking and related crimes. This trial has revealed that Ranieri, who portrayed himself as a savant and a genius, was in fact a massive manipulator, a con man, and the crime boss of a cult-like organization involved in sex trafficking, child pornography, extortion, compelled abortions, branding, degradation, and humiliation. I got to tell you, it seems like a, a good thing that he was so flagrant and crossed the line into outright criminal activity to the extent that he could be held criminally responsible. But most of our conversation about what he did involves things that sound like they're probably legal. Like it's, it's, it's legal to tell people that you can fix them and ask them to pay you vast sums of money to enter into your multi-level system of getting closer to the great leader and probably even legal for me to ask somebody to willingly hand over uh, compromising material to prove their loyalty and faith to me. I guess I'm just a little bit disturbed by if he had been more careful, you probably could do this and not break the law. And I guess at the root of it is just an astonishment with how much people chose to be exploited by him. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I mean, you use the word choose, but I do think at a certain point, the scales tip where it's just not a choice anymore, right? Like there's so much intense punishment put in place for going against the controls that you just have to choose with Keith. Otherwise, you're literally choosing to destroy your life as we know it. But I think you're right. I think he did push the limits just Every decade had new ways of making a lie or a misdirection that much more useful to him and pushing it that much further. I think he did probably get a little too confident in his powers of persuasion, and that was part of what tipped him into becoming a target for the FBI. I think if it wasn't full, full control over every aspect of these women's lives to the point where they're texting immediately when they wake up. They're asking permission to consume calories. They have to, you know, just do all these really intense things. And and they're called slaves. I think you might not really see where the coercion is because you have people saying, Master, please brand me. It would be an honor. They seem to have tacit permission, sometimes spoken permission, to do these things to them. And yet, you had this recording at the trial of Keith asking Allison Mack to change the branding ceremonies so it didn't look like it was coerced, right? So you have this appearance of consent, right? Uh huh. I think there was a lot of appearance of consent, but... Inside, people in a really dangerous situation where they can't seek outside feedback, they can't see a lawyer, they can't tell their parents. There's just so much keeping them stuck 
that isn't necessarily spoken out loud. Yeah. To ask for compromising material might be legal, but to say, if you don't give me money or bend to my will, I will release this and ruin you, that's blackmail. That's against the law. It's pretty clear. But to create a culture in which you will be frozen out and ostracized if you don't bend to the will of the great leader, I don't know. There's a lot of religions out there. There's a lot of people who get involved in all in, in all kinds of clubs and disciplines, and there seems to be a heavy demand for cultures like that. People seem to be constantly, willfully, at great effort and expense, entering into hierarchical systems where everybody buys into, I don't know, it doesn't matter in a way, like maybe it does matter, but I'm thinking of everything from like trying to become a yoga instructor to that relative who gets really interested in a Chabad or some kind of like extreme version of the religion they were born into. There's all kinds of people who are out there looking to surrender their will to something that that is organized and makes sense, that gives them a role and an identity and, and a ladder to climb. I think you're right that there are so many seekers out there that want to become really invested in a community and and be accountable to it. And I think for the most part, that's, you know, a totally fine thing to seek out. I think as long as the organizations, the religions or yoga instructors are upfront about what they're offering. But when you have just all this money and potentially sex involved, you know, you just need the highest of standards in terms of accountability. But it doesn't mean that all religions are bad. It doesn't mean that all seeking is bad. It just means that there needs to be extra transparency and accountability. Well, yeah, there's sort of what we would hope would be the best practices and ethics. There's what we know to be true, which is that abuses take place in pretty much every hierarchical system. And then there's the law. There is an open effort right now to make illegal something that is called coercive control. We seem to be turning our attention as a society, in no small part due to Netflix bingeable shows and podcasts, onto cults and organizations that use many tricks and tactics from Scientology. But a lot of this is also like male pickup art culture. A lot of it is exploiting the vulnerabilities of women, but all kinds of systems that are predatory and really, really well considered at every juncture as to how to put people into compromised situations. And a lot of what they do is not illegal. And there are people who think it should be. What, what do you think about this movement to make coercive control illegal? I think it's really interesting, and I've been keeping sort of a close eye on it. So here in Canada, we have a private member's bill uh, that's done a first reading that sort of does lay out this issue to say, yeah, we don't have it currently captured by Canada's criminal code. We should put something in there that includes surveillance, um, that includes controlling someone's information in and out and limiting where they can go and potentially affecting their mental health. And then you just had pretty recently at the end of April, another similar report in Parliament in Canada that sort of laid out similar recommendations where you uh, they're asking you know, for acknowledgement that this isn't captured in the criminal code. They're saying, you know, start a task force. We should implement some measures. 
and we should consider even funding and some public information campaigns around this issue over the next year or so. So none of that has officially taken root in Canada, but it's something we're thinking about. It's something our politicians are starting to debate. And I think I will certainly be keeping a close eye on it as it goes through because Of course, women are most affected by these kinds of things. So women are in domestic abuse situations where coercive control is most often presented. But there's also, I think, some pitfalls, potential pitfalls to be careful about. Obviously, any carceral solution will come with its own sort of inequalities. Like, will this target people of color more than white people? Will this, you know be used? Like, how do you measure an impact on someone's mental health? I think there's lots of questions still to be answered, but I would just like to see how this debate in Canada unfolds. I think coaching relationships are so important. I wanted a mentor when I was coming out of journalism school. I think that dynamic in any spiritual or otherwise situation should continue to exist. I I don't think legislation like this would even touch that, I don't think. That was really interesting. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jesse. That's your Canada Land. If you like this show, please support it. Click on the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read them all. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is canadaland.com. There's a new episode of The Backbench this week, the best politics podcast in Canada. This episode is produced by Tristan Capicione with Damalola Oname and Sharice Sucharan. Our theme music is by So Called. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. Once again, if you like this show, please support it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.